0: This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoyed the show and want it to continue, please support us on Patreon over at patreon.com slash geeks, or via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. And I want to give a special thank you to Keith Collinsworth and Mazzy, who both just signed up this week to support us on Patreon. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so now let's get to our show. Wired.com presents
1: The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy.
0: And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 523 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm David Barr Kirtley, Author of the book Save Me, Please, and Other Stories, which is available now on Amazon.com. We had a great conversation about the book back in episode 500, so definitely check that out if you missed it. And our guests today are Ken and Roberta Williams, co founders of Sierra Online, the company behind such classic computer games as King's Quest, Space Quest, and Quest for Glory. And in this interview, we'll be discussing Ken and Roberta's new game Colossal Cave, reimagined by Roberta Williams a remake of the genre-defining Colossal Cave Adventure by Will Crowther and Don Woods. We'll also be discussing Ken's book Not All Fairy Tales Have Happy Endings, about the rise and fall of Sierra Online, and Roberta's historical novel Farewell to Terra, about how her Irish ancestors survived the potato famine. And if you're interested in Sierra games, you should also check out our interview with Ann Cole back in episode 349, and it's our panel on classic graphic adventure games back in episode 459. And now here's our interview with Ken and Roberta Williams. All right, so we're here with Ken and Roberta Williams. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. It's our pleasure.
0: Thank you. Excited to be here. Okay, and so your new game is called Colossal Cave Reimagined by Roberta Williams. So how'd this game come about?
2: Well, it, it came about as uh, well, it was about a year and a half ago, Ken needed a project and he just finished his book and um, he was looking for something else to do. And, you know, he always likes to do work on his computer. That is, you know, his life and uh, being a computer programmer, he was looking, I think, for something to code, something to do. And he was, I noticed that he was studying, um, unity. Um, he would be in our, in our, uh, TV room and we'd be looking at, uh, YouTube videos of something that looked to me like a 3d programming language. And I asked him what, you know, you've been doing this for a, for a while. I've been seeing you in here, you know, looking at this, um, are you planning on programming a game or something? And he said, uh, well, he was thinking about it and he wanted to learn to to uh to code uh 3D graphics and he was looking at something called Unity. to trying to study it. And I was in, interested, uh didn't know he was really doing that and asked him if he had a game in mind and he did. It was a uh a game a, a game to teach people how to program, but probably more specifically children. Young or young adults to learn how to program computers, but in a, in a game form. And I, my first question to him it was, uh, "Oh, do you think it will be fun?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he says, "Well, it's fun to him." <laughs> and I said, "Oh, okay." Um, and he says, "Well, but I'm not really doing it for fun. You know, I'm just doing it as a project and." you know and i just thought that maybe more people or kids need to learn how to program and so i said well okay and uh i went to bed that night and for some reason the game colossal cave just popped into my head and colossal cave has a um it has a history with ken and i uh but maybe you might even say a little bit more with me because i um colossal cave was my first experience with playing any any kind of uh computer games and and you know that w- that was back in like 1980, and never had played any computer games in my life. Although there weren't really that many computer <laughs> games then either, um, and uh, I just got I was very intrigued and became very obsessed with this game. It's a it's a text adventure game, and in fact, it's the first uh, adventure game I believe uh, in in the world probably. And I loved it. I just loved it, and I was obsessed with it. I and uh, and uh I finished it and I wanted to play more like it but there wasn't anything really more like it and I remember thinking I was very obsessed with it and almost addicted I just had to play another game like it and I thought uh if um if I'm feeling this way I've never felt like that before so you know so much so strong with with this that I thought other people's got to be like me, not just me. That you know this this is too weird for mm-hmm. me to be this interested in it. And so I I I said other people have got to be interested as well, and that's what spurred me to sit down and design my first game, Mystery House. And Ken programmed it with me. I did the art, such as it was, uh, and we did it together. And it it was an immediate hit for the Apple II computer. And that's, that's basically what started me on my career. And, and then also can, you know, Ken, us uh, starting our, our uh, company Sierra online. And that's how it all began. And, it, and, and I really credit it to the game Colossal Cave. It, and then in those days, it was called just plain old adventure. Um, but it's also been called Colossal Cave over the years. And um, so when it popped into my head, That this game Colossal Cave, after Ken was saying he needed a project, it was kind of strange why it did, but it just did. And it was almost as if I was going back into time, or maybe not so much that, but that Colossal Cave, I credit it very much. And the original designers, Will Crowther and Don Woods, for designing such a wonderful game. Uh, to credit my career and Sierra Online's existence and all the games we did and 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 uh, published, that maybe in my mind it was like going back to give honor and and, and homage to Colossal Cave and to and and Will and 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 Don uh, just to say what a wonderful game and I would love to bring it back to the world and to modern audiences and and game players because it's that great of a game in my opinion.
0: Yeah that's that's so great and I actually I I also have a long history with Colossal Cave Adventure because my parents both worked for IBM Uh so I would spend a lot of time you know at, at the lab where they worked, and they were working, and then they would sort of stick me in front of a terminal. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and it's really the only game on it was adventure. So I spent a lot of time playing that. Yes, uh, and actually, if you if uh, listeners listen to episode 400, I had my parents on, and they they told this story where when I was just a baby that they I was sleeping and they put me in you know like in my dad's office, and then they were <laughs> down the hall playing adventure. Yeah, you know, started crying and they didn't. They didn't notice. And one of the security guys came around and said, "Like, did you know that your baby is crying?" And they were
2: <laughs> sort of embarrassed. Well, yeah. I love that. Well, actually, what's so funny is I had a baby too at the at the, at the time. Well, I don't know when your parents were. You know what year that might have been, but you know, mine was about 1980. And um, and I had just had a baby, and I was I and I had a five year old too. And I remember a few times. And, and our our younger son, Chris, was about six months old and he was just beginning to try to start crawling. And uh and I would get so engrossed in this game, I would almost forget about him, and then he'd start crying, hmm. and then I would tell my five-year-old, Can you go play with your brother or you know, want to change his diaper or something? Go <laughs> hmm. give him his bottle. Mommy's playing this game. Uh so yeah, um, that's that's funny. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I would. I would be, I guess, almost exactly. The, I was born in December '77, so I would have been almost exactly. Right, the same, age, I guess, yeah,
2: so. it would be. Yeah, our son was born in '79. Yeah. 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 So. Well, that's a great story. Well,
1: now I feel old. <laughs> yeah,
2: I know we have to be reminded, right? <laughs> oh well. <laughs> um,
1: sorry.
0: Go ahead.
2: No, I'm done. I finished um, my answer. I think. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and so I, I played like I, As far as I remember, there was no way to save. So I don't know how far I ever made it into the game. But I remember that some of the stuff really distinctly. I mean, like, uh, um, and all the uh, all the adults around me were all trying to solve the game adventure. The thing I really remember is there was one guy and he had uh, gotten this bear to follow him, or, him around. But every time he tried to take the bear over this uh, rickety bridge, the bridge would break <clears throat> and the bear would fall to its doom. And- yeah. <laughs> That's, that's yeah. We, we
1: have one programmer that's worked on that bear for a month. <laughs> the troll bridge
2: and the troll bridge. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it looks pretty amazing, but
2: uh, it's
1: uh, it's a tough puzzle, and I don't, you know, I don't want to tell you how to no, solve. No, no, no. We're things. not
2: going to tell anybody no. how to solve anything. No. Nope. Um, nope.
1: Although you know, it is one of the weird things about this game is that if anybody gets too stuck. They can always go to the internet and Google up the answer. We're trying to stay super faithful to the original version. It, um, You know, if you're doing history, you don't want to change it. You know, we really want um, people that played the old game. And, and the old game, I mean, it survived for 50 years. I and mean, there's still probably more people that play that game each year than... Um, play a lot of the indie games that come out. I mean, you know, it's, it's a good, solid, well-designed game. And one of the reasons why it was the perfect project for me to start on was that it was a working design that was already well-known to people. And Roberta wasn't involved at the beginning. She, um, I
2: was only the idea person at yeah, the beginning. Yeah, she really mm-hmm. didn't kick yeah. in
1: on the project until... Um, I started developing it, got it almost done, and she thought it looked like crap, at which point she said, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll bail you out now, and then um, and suddenly it flipped from being kind of a, in fact, I had talked about releasing it <laughs> under a uh, pseudonym, because I did not believe that it was possible that a... Um, good game could be done by uh, one or two people, that you really needed a full team, and we travel a lot. I didn't want to be bogged down, but, you know, in some ways, the pandemic uh, saved the game because um, suddenly everybody uses Teams and Slack and all of these uh, screen sharing things, and it's practical now to work remotely on a project, whereas it hadn't been. If you go back just three or four years ago, it's hard for me to believe now that I'd never heard of Slack, but um, it, uh, now we spend, you know, 12 hours a day sitting on our computers sharing with these other people and constantly flipping our screen back and forth. And we've got a team of uh, 27 people that are scattered around the world. And some of which I'm not even sure what state they live in. We just work together every day. Like our, like our desks are next to each other. Yeah. So it um, you know, what we're doing on this game couldn't have been done five years ago.
0: I mean, just this morning I was doing research and I watched an interview with this guy, Marcus Mara. Um, he uh-huh. seems yeah. really interesting, like a really interesting guy. And he was, I think, the first person to join. He was the first team. one on
1: the project. It was originally going to be just Marcus and I, or Marcus and me, I guess, proper.
0: Uh, so how did he get, how did he get, how did you, how did you start building that team? Like what were your first couple people that you acquired?
1: Well, there were, I mean, you know, the, the rest of the story is that um, originally it was just Marcus and me. And Marcus was a, a jewelry designer. He wasn't really a um, 3D game artist. But uh, but he was perfectly good for what I wanted for my, uh, I, I guess you'd call it a hobby project. But when Roberta got involved and we said, you know, there's something really here and this can go big. And there's, you know, a million people that would want to well. play this game. Suddenly I started recruiting and, um, you know, Marcus is still on the project, but um, he was, uh, I, I mean, his art wasn't bad, but I, I, you know, I wouldn't say he's a uh, games programmer with 20 years experience. You know, so suddenly we started looking for that. And we looked for the best we could find anywhere in the world to do the art. And there's very little of um, Marcus's art left. <laughs> I hate to say that because he's a good guy. Well, no, but, uh, it's
2: okay. I mean, um, I think he he realizes. I mean, Marcus like like us want it wants the game to be a good game. I mean, you know, um, an an excellent game. You you know, you want to be associated with something that is that is excellent, that is great, and, um, and that what happened is that it was it was Ken and Marcus, and they were going to do more like a cute little. Game of colossal cave and um and I was just gonna be on the periphery, just looking over their shoulders and maybe helping with some advice here and there. but then I noticed that suddenly this company called Unity got involved. I noticed that Ken and Marcus last summer were having meetings with these people, and we were on our boat just like we are right now and um and and I would be passing by. Uh, on the boat in this little tiny hallway we've got here. It's just a very, pretty small boat for, for us. And, um, and Ken would say, Roberta, stop and say hi to these people <laughs> that were on his uh, computer screen. And I would look and there would be like six people staring at me, you know, as I'm walking yeah. back, you know, behind him. And I would go, Oh. Yeah, and I'd say, Oh, and these are who? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, these people are, you know, they're from Unity and I didn't even know you know, I knew Unity was um you know, they they had three D graphics and or something. I didn't really know exactly. Um, that they had something to do with building games and with three D and 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 I would say, Oh, hello, hello. I'd wave and, you know, say, but a few it wasn't things. just but, them. I mean,
1: Facebook got involved. But then at the others, others too. started yeah. getting
2: involved. And, and, and more and more, Ken and Marcus were saying, Roberta, you've got to sit down and talk to these people. And I would say, about what? I mean, I'm not doing this. And, and, but anyway, because of that, I was being pulled and pulled into this project. And, and, and then finally I just said, I could see that there was a future here. There was a really good future with this game that, and I, I, I just did, I wanted to make it good. I wanted to make it great. And I mean, without sounding, I don't know, too patting myself on the back, I guess (laughs) I felt like they needed me, you know, I said, no, you need me. But, uh, but the minute they, I, I stepped in, everything changed because i'm not i'm going to do a great job and and i don't want you know my reputation to be anything less than you know what i've done in the past my my games in the past and i i mean i know I, that sounds terrible to say in, in that way but um so it it changed and we just hired all professional people really wonderful People And and the graphics are, are, are just amazing now and, and traveling through this game, the sound, sound effects and music we're going to have. I'm starting to work on the sound effects now. I have a team doing that. And, um, it's just the animation designing the characters and it's just, it's, I don't know. I don't know.
1: Well, it's a different project in that um, most games are started either to um, make money or, um, well, probably just to make money. And this (laughs) game isn't like that. I mean, this thing can bomb or succeed and our lifestyle isn't going to change. We're going to be on this same old boat next year at this time. It's, um, you know, we're not going to get a bigger car or have to sell a car. We're, um, what we really care about is that the game is great, and it's somewhat about you know trying to take a game that meant so much to us and bring it to a new generation, yeah. and to um, do it in a way. I mean, we know, I mean, there are people in this world that know that game, every sentence of dialogue. Well, it, and you know, they're going to trash us if we don't do this it, right. Yeah, it
2: was like for me. For me, it was like it was my idea to do it, and. And I, I started feeling very strongly about it, that if we're going to do it, we we've got to do it right. This cannot be treated as a, a a little hobby game. You know, I want it to be professional and, uh, and it is, and people are beginning to see it now and look at it. And, um, I'm, I'm beginning to be very, very proud of this game. Uh, I just for, for, you know, legacy and, for people to see that an that an older game like this can be brought back and brought back in a beautiful way and in a fun way for today's audiences. That was kind of important to me.
0: Yeah, no, it, it sounds great. And actually, there was an interview I read with Ken where he was talking about, he says uh, that Roberta spent almost a month thinking about how players move in the world and interact with the world. And she made us uh, sort of redo this whole new movement system. Locomotion mm-hmm. that she created. So yeah. uh, I guess, Go ahead. I guess I should just explain that the game you're doing this is you're doing a virtual reality um you know version of the game that people can play. But can can you talk about that? Like what what was that locomotion system that Roberta?
1: Well, uh, I, I'll set it up for Roberta to answer it. But um, what's well, there's both a VR version and a non VR version, and for the VR version. Um, Roberta hadn't played any other VR games. She was able to come at it with fresh eyes and, um, design something, you know, the problem with VR for some people, uh, some people are fine with it, but some people will get motion sickness, especially in a game like this where you're moving through a 3d world
2: and in a cave too.
1: And yeah, I mean, the first time I started playing some, uh, other games, I was really sick. And, uh, you know, I'd have to play for 10 minutes and lay down for a while. So, uh, Roberta, and we had a version of our game. We've heard stories
2: of people getting sick to the point of throwing up, you know, and everything playing those games. And,
1: um, well, then when Roberta started playing, it had a system of movement through the world, but uh, it also kind of made her sick. And so she started experimenting with different approaches. And came up with something that uh, we're convinced is a lot better and less. I mean, still, I mean, if there, there are some people who are not going to um, react well in a 3D yeah, world. Yeah, no matter
2: what you do. Yeah, no
1: matter what you do. Yeah. But I think that this is significantly better than what's out there. But it also led to some funny arguments between Roberta <laughs> and some of the uh, senior executives at Facebook, where uh, now called Meta.
2: Yeah.
1: where uh, they said, well, this movement system is different and she said, yeah, but I isn't don't it think better? anybody
2: i don't I don't think that um anybody has said no to them until me.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think uh you know I, I listened politely, you know, they said, well, this just isn't the standard movement, you know, this is not the way that that the, they play the you know our um, and on the quest too, you know, it, it's not, it's not the way that, that it's done and people won't understand it. And I said, it's not that hard. I mean, it's really easy. It, I mean, it's just a few little flicks, you know, press this button, you know, and the joystick over here and then that, you know, move your arm, you know, back, you know, like you're dusting a top of a table a little bit, to move and turn and. You know, and everything, and you just have to sit still in a chair. You can't be up walking around and turning around. You have to, you know, sit and be focused, and 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 all that. And well, that's just not the way. And I, I you know, and I listened politely, and I finally said no. I just said no, and they they didn't even know what to say. They were just like flabbergasted. I don't think anybody had ever said
1: you know, it. Like was, no it to was them. like this scene in my book where Roberta's <laughs> lecturing our uh, board of directors on who the boss really is. <laughs> and, uh, and she was, exp- I was busted up when she was doing it. It, uh, I mean, it, those are important people. I really don't want to alienate them, but, uh, but it was fun to behold. And, um, and actually, I mean, uh, to our credit or to whatever credit, it's kind of, um, We got an awful lot of attention for what we're doing, uh, which shocked the heck out of me because it has been a while since we retired. And yet, um, you know, it's kind of, I mean, it's just amazing the uh, amount of support we've got from uh, all the hardware companies. Um, Most indie developers have a heck of a time getting a call returned at most of these companies. And we haven't announced all the platforms we're on yet, but you can bet that um, every hardware company is uh, excited about getting our stuff on their hardware. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's a weird,
0: weird situation we find ourselves in.
2: Yeah, I would say.
0: <laughs> That's great. And yeah, I, I definitely, as as you were saying that, I was definitely thinking about the scene in Ken's book where, I mean, there's a couple of them, but there's this yeah. that Roberta says to this, to this group, you know, like we're not merging with these guys. They're a joke. Nobody takes them seriously. I yep. you know, have half the stock or something and we're not doing it, so this yep. meeting's over. Basically. That's
2: right. That was my favorite scene in the And book. I said to Ken, <laughs> Are you following me? I'm leaving <laughs> And he got up from Uh-oh. the table and walked out the door with me. Well. Yeah, but I I did I did it to Disney too. And okay. I did it to uh the Uh-oh. Henson group of Jim Henson. <laughs> um where at Disney um I uh, I was doing, uh, uh, the Black Cauldron. They they came to Ken and said that they wanted me to to design their they had their they had their movie their new movie. Well, then back then, um, the Black Cauldron, which really didn't do very well, I think, for them. But anyway, they had this movie coming out, and they wanted me to to design a game based on the Black Cauldron that would look like King's Quest, and they wanted it to be just like King's Quest, but based on their movie and. Ken came in to me and said, um, well, this is Disney. You know, they want you to, they want you to take their, their movie and their, and turn it into a a game. And I, I remember I was going to start on some other project that I was excited about. And, um, and I said, well, I don't want to work with Disney. I don't want to work, you know, I don't want to do that. And he said, it's Disney. (laughs) No, I mean, you can't say no to Disney. So, um, I, I went ahead and said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And, and so I I started planning the game and, and this was really I worked with Al Lowe, uh who later um did the the um Leisure Suit Larry games and and Al had never really he had done a few little adventure games of his of his own, but had not really worked with any of our games. And I so I was sort of teaching him to be a code design or be a designer and so he was sort of uh um I was teaching him how to do this and do do these games and I decided to use Black Cauldron as the teaching tool for him. Anyway, so he and I we we kind of designed the the game based on the Black Cauldron and um had it all all set up and ready to go and we had a we sent it in to Disney for them to look at and say here's here's our plan, here's how we're we're thinking of uh of implementing your movie as as a game. And uh, and they were going to fly up to Oakhurst, California, where our offices were at the time, to meet with me, and our our pro- our chief programmer and Al and our chief artist and and talk with us about it. So they came into the room and they basically sat sat down and said, "Well, you know, we decided to change a lot of your game because um, it, it wasn't fitting our script." And, yeah. and we just, you know, there, there's just too many places where you're letting the player just wander around and nothing is happening. And, and, you know, you, and, and they said to me, and you realize this is a movie, right? I mean, you have to follow the script of the movie. And I said, well, do you realize this is a game? This is not a movie. And you have to let the player explore and find things out for themselves. And, and they said, well, well, we just don't agree. I mean, this is, you know, and we changed this, we changed that and we changed all this stuff. And I said, uh, can you excuse me for a minute? And I went into Ken's office and I said, I'm not going to do this game with them because they just took my game and they just changed it all around and back to basically, it's almost like a script to a movie again. And so what's the point? And I just said, I'm done. I'm not going to do it and he had to he called them into his office and he basically said um, that she's not going to work on it unless you leave her alone hmm. and let her do it her way that you have to trust her and uh, and then, and it was they came back in to the conference room and they 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 basically said okay you can do it however you want yeah, And I did. And and it was a great game, too. It, That's
1: uh, the one we used to joke that our game <laughs> outsold their movie.
2: Yeah, it did. It, the, the, game that, got, yeah. the game got really good reviews and their movie, not so much.
0: Yeah. Well, so, well, so, Kent, so you mentioned your book there. And for people who might not know, do you want to just talk about your book? It seems to have gotten a really good reaction. I was just looking, you know, I, I mentioned to you I read it, but I, I was just looking like on Amazon and Goodreads and there is 400, 500 ratings. Yeah, so it seems like it got a good response.
1: I don't, um, if I had known people were going to like it so much, I would have spent a lot more time writing it and had a good editor and it would have been a better book. But um, the nice thing about the book, though, is that a lot of company CEOs, if they do write a book, will bring in a ghostwriter. And that book is kind of the unfiltered kin. (laughs) <laughs> and it's the history as I knew it. And as I remember it, and it, um, it apparently resonated with people because, um, if you read through the reviews on it, people loved it and the sales on it, um, have been insane. I, had, um, I had, it's, you it's know, two years past release and I saw it popped up to number six again the other day. So it, um, yeah, I uh, people like the book. It's called uh not all fair what is it called? Uh, it's called
2: <laughs> not <laughs> all fairy tales. Not, <laughs> not all fairy, fairy tales endings. have happy, happy endings.
1: endings. I should know the name of my own yeah. book, but uh <laughs> but it, it, it is a fun book in that it's um yeah, it's kind of the unfiltered recollections of Sierra and I wrote it really when it started, I meant it as a business book and uh which would be hopelessly boring, but uh To me, it was important to kind of send a message to, um, I mean, it it, it sounds horrible, but I think there's a lot of other people that, like me, were born with parents that couldn't send them to a good school, that um, uh, weren't able to afford to go to college because they had to quit and get married early, and yet somehow I managed to go from the bottom of the heap to the top of the heap, and it really was just through hard work, you know, and also I don't claim to be a genius of any sort. You know, I'm just kind of a good old boy who uh, works really hard. Even now, I mean, on this game, I get up early. I'm there before the East Coast people, and I'm there after the West Coast people. And um, I don't fart around a whole lot. I mean, I really work hard. And I think that almost anybody who's really willing to dig in and work hard can succeed. And Robert is the same way. I mean, I don't want to just take credit. It's um, we're both highly focused, hardworking people. And when we went away from gaming to go do boats, suddenly we also rose to the top in some ways of that industry. And we um, circumnavigated. I wrote four books about uh, boating. And and most marinas in the world, there'll be somebody that recognizes us from boating. And we've done a lot of different magazine covers. We were part of the first powerboat crossing of the Atlantic. Uh, we took our boat, uh, you know, a little private boat um, across the Bering Sea and um, around the world. So we've, we, uh, you know, and and like I said, we're not special. We just work really hard. So.
0: Well, yeah, and I, I thought the book was fascinating, and yeah, you you have these interlude sections throughout the book that I'm sure yeah an editor would have made you take out, but they're they're really interesting. I mean, the the one that sticks out in my mind is 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 your whole like philosophy of programming, and you say you know if if something's not working, then you should you know create a structure around it basically that you know works to test whether you know what what actually is the problem, and you save a lot more time by building this structure around it than than you know fiddling around with a thing that you. Are not sure whether it works or not. And there's just there's just these like really interesting things that only a book, only sort of independently published book like this would ever tell you. It to me. Yeah, there's uh,
1: yeah, that programming section. I should probably blow out to a whole book on programming, but I don't know. I I, I, I right now I'm not thinking any thought beyond getting this darn game out and making <laughs> it great. It um, you know people are you know constantly asking us what are you going to do next. And both Rupert and I just say, we don't know. We're focused on this game. We're not thinking that far ahead.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing you say in the book is is you say part of the reason that you wanted to sell Sierra to, at a point was that you you said that everyone at Sierra was having fun except for you, that your job had just become flying around to all these different subsidiaries uh-huh. and things and checking up on, you know, keeping them on deadline and stuff. And, and so I was wondering if you uh, – are you uh, – um, doing things on this on this new game, so that to make sure that you're having fun along
1: with everybody <laughs> no, else. I, you know the the funnest part of this project was before it turned serious, when it was just me and Marcus, and we were coding, and uh, and you could see huge progress every day, and felt like we had complete control of the project. I am now with uh, 27 people and not a whole lot of hierarchical structure. Mm-hmm. Roberta has the artists and musicians. And but I've got all the writing, QA and programming, yeah,
2: writing, art, um, sound effects, musicians, anything that of that creative nature is me. Yeah, and and during the week, I mean,
1: I've got well, it's not a big team, but there's 10 programmers and they fire in questions to me every few minutes. And I'm kind of the technical lead, He's but,
2: technical and marketing, and, yeah, and kind oh, of
1: I forgot I got marketing,
2: pay, paying people, and I got pay bills. <laughs> I spent pay the bills. morning
1: setting up flights for the team to go to a Conference in Germany. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I look forward to the weekends. And I, as people are uh, like, "Can I work this weekend?" And I go, "No," because that's the time <laughs> when I did to have fun and write code.
2: He loves Ken. So, loves to write code. I mean, to Ken, um, writing code is fun.
1: You yeah. know,
2: I mean, I look at that, and, and to me, that looks so boring. You know, but but to him, it's fun. That's what he, that's what he wants to do.
1: Well. Yeah, I mean, I'm good at marketing. I'm good at finance, but, uh, but what I really like to do is code. And at Sierra, I didn't even get to do any of that stuff. I became a, a professional airplane rider. The, um, interesting thing about what Sierra was that I had this philosophy that you couldn't have more than a hundred people in any one location because then you lost the soul of the location. And I really wanted dynamics to be dynamics. I wanted, um, uh, cocktail vision to be cocktail vision. I wanted papyrus to be papyrus. And I didn't want to create this big, horrible, um, monolith. And, but it also meant that for me to run it, I had to ride on an airplane because the, these, these, yeah you know, we had, I don't remember how many subsidiaries, like 15 subsidiaries, and they were geographically all over the world. And I spent my days riding on airplanes to go meet with people while they had all the fun. So <laughs> that felt a little unfair. But yeah, uh, and that's true. And that's what ultimately led to the uh, sale of the company. But yeah, you know, I mean, my, my main saying was I wanted to create a company that my grandkids would uh, know about and that would still live around for multiple generations. And all decisions at Sierra were based on the long term, not the short term. And, uh, and that's why, you know, we did so well but uh, when we sold it suddenly everybody was looking at it saying well it's inefficient to have a uh, operation in portland and an operation in seattle and an operation in paris and have programmers in boston why don't we just fire all of those people and consolidate to one location and quit developing um, our own software and just publish software other people do and that that brought it all down yeah so mhm well, plus they were crooks, and that hurt too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, they but, couldn't run the company from in jail. But, but
2: that didn't have anything to do with us. Yeah, no, no.
1: Yeah, if you ever sell your company, be careful who you sell to.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Um, I, I want to give Roberta a chance to talk about her book as well. Do you want to talk about Farewell to Tara?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, th- uh, you said you read it.
0: I did. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Do you want to just tell people what the
2: Well, how did did it come about? It's nothing like Ken's book at all. Um, (laughs) And it's not, and it's not selling as well either. Um, But that's, but not, I think not so much because it wasn't, um, you know, uh, well written or anything, but it's just a kind of a funky um, subject. It's about uh, the, it's, it's really the history of Ireland during the Great Famine. And the immigration that, that, uh, our migration away from Ireland that occurred as, as a result of the, the Great Famine. And the reason why I wrote it is I, after we sold Sierra, it, I needed something to do. Um, cause like Ken, I, you know, I'm somebody that I just always need to be busy doing something creative. Usually it would be in a, of a creative nature or something that's adventurous or, or whatever. Um, our boating life was very adventurous, and that that appeals to me. Um, but I also love history, and I I somehow got involved in the genealogy of my family. Um, I think my uncle he 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 was talking to me one day about our ancestors, our Irish ancestors, and who they were. And he gave me some records that he had had that had been given to him by some great aunt or something like that. And he said, you know, these are our ancestors on, on, this is on my mother's side that uh, came over from Ireland. And, and I said, Oh, and I looked at it and I, I thought, Oh, you know, uh, these people, they, wow. I didn't really realize who they were or anything about them. And I, um, and this is about the time where the internet was coming to to be and it wasn't really big and strong quite yet but there was this company called ancestry.com that was new it was still pretty new um, and they had all these records and you could join you could uh, join their their uh, website i guess and you could you look up all kinds of uh, um um you know, data and, and files and old papers, you know, and, and census material and all kinds of stuff and learn more about your ancestors. So I, I signed on and became a subscriber to ancestry.com. And then I found there were other ones also one like roots web and, you know, other, other different ones that I could subscribe to. And I, I began to find, um, Uh, more and more information about these people. And then I decided that I wanted to learn more and I hired a professional um, genealogist in Ireland. And then I hired hired one in New York and then I hired one in Iowa where the three places where they were and I was getting a ton of information. And I just kept getting more and more information and was doing a lot of my own research and it was just love doing it. And um, I, until I accumulated like three huge, thick notebooks, just full of, of papers and research and everything. And I said to myself, you know, I should write a book <laughs> because the story is actually kind of interesting. And, um, and I knew that it, it probably wouldn't be a very, very popular subject matter. I mean, first of all, you have to have an interest. In I, you know, Ireland and Irish history and then maybe probably have an interest in genealogy and family history and all of that before you might, might be interested in it. But I didn't care. It just, it just seemed to me silly to have all of this information that I collected and know a lot about these people and not share it. So my original idea was to write it for my various family members of, uh, around the world well around the country and 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 in ireland and i actually we went over to ireland a couple of times and i met some fa- some family members over there that i never knew existed and so it was it you know i just did it for that reason i guess
0: hmm. ken said in his book that you spent six months just agonizing over the historical footnotes at the end of the book
2: yeah, I mean I am I, I am a person that I, I can get very tedious and I'm very detail oriented. Um and I'm very, very much a perfectionist. <laughs> so yeah, I did. Um and I spent really over ten years on that project in total. And in fact I was gonna I was beginning to write the sequel to it because everybody was saying, Well now that they made it to New York or no that uh that Patrick clinton made it to new to new york uh you need to go on with well you know whatever happened you know did did uh maggie come over did they get married i mean what happened and i was gonna write the sequel to that to their lives in new york and then i started working on this game <laughs> yeah
0: I, I found that reading the book made me very hungry and i kept uh <laughs> thinking i should uh like buy a year's worth of food and stick it in my closet just in case. Did, <laughs> did you have uh, an experience like that uh, writing it? Writing it,
2: <laughs> no, not really. But I mean, I did. Feel, I did feel a lot of anguish about it, and um, and learning about how they suffered and 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 why. I really I, part of it is I wanted to understand why that famine occurred. I mean, I knew it was because of a of a potato disease, and in fact, you know we know what the, what the disease is. It's, you know, it's like a fungal kind of um, infestation, but, but that's not really the, the big reason why uh, it, the big, the, the big question was why did the uh, the poor Irish have to live off of potatoes and grow their own potatoes and, and have very little access to other types of food. And Ireland is a, is a great, um, agrarian type of place. It's got lots of land. It's green. It grows things well. And uh, there's plenty of food, but it was all being shipped to to England. Uh, And I I sort of explain that in the book as you know, the the large plantations that were taken over and, and the land was taken away from the native Irish. And it was, it's a very sad story, Um, but it certainly shows what can happen out there. You know, to to countries, I guess you could say, and what can cause things like mass migration?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's obviously a ton of research went into this book, and I learned a lot about Irish history reading it. And one of these things I, I'd never heard of before was this story about the history of Rathmore Castle. And like, yeah. this is something that should be a novel or a movie or something in itself. Like, like, like basically this. Uh, yeah. There's these scheming nephews try to murder this this property owner, and he fights them off with his sword. But he's really uh-huh. wounded, and his pregnant wife flees to the castle, and then she like fakes her death and has all their treasure. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you, uh, gets you know transported out in a coffin as if she's dead, and then yeah. puts their treasure in the coffin, and has it buried, and it's just this whole amazing story. Like what? What was it like discovering that, that story? Where you just oh, like, Oh, my God, I loved that's it. Oh,
2: I mean, the minute I read it, I knew I went, Oh, this has got to go in the book, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because when you're writing a book like this um, and, and it's, it was also kind of a weird thing to, uh, I wanted to write it as a historical novel, meaning, you know, I'm really novelizing it and, and turning this story his real life story into a, um, an interesting read. In other words, it's, I didn't want to write it just for family members only. I wanted to write it in such a way that if someone liked um uh, if there were you know readers of historical novels that 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 love you know uh, novels written in, in in history that they might actually enjoy it even if it's not their own family. So I wanted to write it sort of fiction fiction fictionalized um even though it's true, but I did have to I had to take some uh, creative leeway. Uh, like when I had my ancestors doing certain things or saying certain things. Well, obviously I wasn't there then. I mean, I had no idea, you know, exactly. But what I did is I put them in situations that for their um, lot in life, they you know, they were in the lower rungs of Irish society there, um, you know, the Irish Catholic Um I I just put them in in you know in place of what was happening to others that and it certainly could have happened as, as much to them and 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 those that died in my in my family actually did um and uh but I I was fictionalizing them all all through and so whenever I would run into us an interesting story like that of Rathmore Castle of course you know I'd want to put that in to make the the book interesting and and also to show the romanticism i think of ireland um the uh, the you know the the history of the celtic and the celtic history some of it and um and and even in the medieval days and how it, what was, what it had been like
0: yeah no it it's it's all really interesting there's also there's a lot of stuff of sort of folklore stuff of the cuz the characters believe in Mm-hmm. in in magic spells and, yeah. you know, uh, banshees and, yeah. and all, all these kinds of things. And it was making me think, you know, when I, when I played the King's Quest games as a kid, uh-huh. it, it really sparked my interest in reading all these books of folklore and fairy tales because I was always like, Oh, maybe this will come in handy, you know, in, in mm-hmm. one of the games, uh, for solving a puzzle. And so I would just read like yeah. book after book of fairy tales. So uh-huh. I, I, uh, I owe you a lot for kind of, uh, sparking my interest <laughs> in fairy tales.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I mean, they're great. I love. I still love fairy tales.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, are there any sort of um, any of the any of the folklore things that you came across in your research stand out in your minds? Any of the the magic stuff or the for the for for uh, farewell to Tara? Yeah.
2: Um. Yeah. For well, I was looking for not just the history of what happened, and and I didn't want it. I mean, I did get pretty bogged down in what was happening with in the country and the starvation and, and the misery. I mean, but, but that's what it was, what was happening then. But I also was interested in the folklore, like you said, in some of the old beliefs, even though they were very much Catholic, uh, at least my family were of, of the Catholic um religion. And, and uh they were very religious in that way, but, but they had not forgotten their, the the old superstitions and the mythology of the the Irish and I I kind of wanted to go further back to like the the druids you know and all of that but I I decided that that would be going a bit too far so I didn't quite go that far but but no I I love that kind of stuff
0: yeah there there was an interesting you know when when the midwife casts this spell she she's saying well this will this spell will help God keep the baby safe from the fairies. And it's this uh-huh. interesting syncretism of the yep. the Christianity with the, the older. Yes.
2: Yeah. I had to, I looked a lot of that stuff up. Um, I, I, I sought it out. I mean, I was looking for, for that, that kind of things. I, 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 I kind of knew that if I just stuck to the normal way of writing um, and sticking with the, just a the Catholic, Catholic rites and all that, which I did, um, without adding in the the old the old beliefs, um, it would be wrong because I am pretty darn sure that back in the mid eighteen hundreds, especially among the poorer population, they certainly did, and so I went out of my way to find it. And when I found it, when it when I would find these little gems like that, oh, I definitely I felt like I you know, I have found a little bit of treasure, you know, and I would make sure to put it in the book.
0: Yeah. All right. So let me get back to Ken too. So, so Ken, before we started recording, uh, you were saying that you uh, had worked with Arthur C. Clark and that's something that uh, our I think our listeners would be interested. So kind of what was your experience working with uh, with him?
1: Well, it. Um, <laughs> I wish I could say that I directly worked with him. My team got to do that. The um, – but it was, I mean, you know, like, like, I think, I assume everybody of my generation, we were fascinated with the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey and read the book. And, um, you know, Arthur C. Clarke was a real hero. And so, um, Dynamics, uh, said they wanted to work with him. And, um, I said, sure. And they actually went to, uh, Sri Lanka with a whole team and, um, uh, I would, I would, you know, give me daily reports from there. And uh, I guess he was a pretty eccentric guy. But, um, that, um, yeah, so I, I guess the answer is I don't know because I wasn't there. Um, other than, uh, the game sold amazingly well. We were, it was at a time when, uh, a game called Myst was a huge hit and we wanted to try to create a competitor to it. And tap into that same, uh, science fiction stuff. And the game was called, do you remember, Berta? Lighthouse? Light? I don't remember. Uh, maybe you remember, but, um, <laughs> it, um, yeah, it sold well. It, other than, you know, it was kind of a me too product. And that when you fired it up, you noticed that it was a lot of the same, um, art style as Mist. And the same science fiction uh, stuff, and in general in the industry, when uh, when you're a follower and not a leader, it um, it doesn't get the same respect. And so, um, yeah, sorry to disappoint on that answer, but uh, I can't hmm. say much more.
0: Well, well, you mentioned in the book uh, a couple of times, you mentioned that you were a big Stephen King fan, that you were a big fan of Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Or are those some of your favorite science fiction authors, or are there any other science fiction authors that you've that you've read, that you like?
1: Uh, uh, plenty, but you know what's weird is about, through my early life, I was a huge reader. I mean, I would devour a book every week, and I read, I mean, everything by Stephen King, everything by, um, oh, many science fiction authors, um, all the Tolkien stuff. And uh, then suddenly Sierra started, and I worked an awful lot. And, um, somewhere along the line, books stopped. And, um, well, I, it, well, and then I started trying to learn French. And so I started reading French newspapers and I started reading, uh, yeah, I had to start with comic books because, uh, you got to start at the beginning. And I graduated to magazines and then, uh, reading French newspapers. And somehow I never, ever fell back to books. So I don't think I've read a book in 20 years. And um, yeah, and Roberta um, kind of gets mad at me for it, or gives me a hard time. Yeah,
2: I read books all the time, but
1: um... yeah, she's still kind of a book person. And we'll we'll do now, like when we're driving, we'll do some of the Anne Rule murder mystery. <laughs> we books. got
2: into this true crime, you know, when we do a long drive.
1: Yeah, but... um, (laughs) An
2: audio (laughs) book.
1: But now, as I even think back on it, but I mean, everything Douglas Adam wrote, I mean, I loved it. That that was, I mean, that was the holy grail for me. I just had to publish his Mm -hmm. games and got to talk to him about it a lot of times, which was a, um, you know, like meeting one of my great heroes. But but never could quite get it over the edge. He did the uh, game with Infocom, and uh, we would have done it better. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, but I somehow couldn't get it, and so that one just never came together. Mm-hmm.
0: I wanted to to ask also: Can in your book you say that um, most of Roberta's design notes were given to the Strong Museum in Rochester, New York? And I was just curious. So if if I go to Rochester, New York, could I see like design notes for yeah for the King's Quest games or like uh-huh. ones, I think they're so. all
2: there. Yeah, most of them. I I, I have a a few of them in, at my desk in Seattle. Um, but I, it, you'd be surprised how much stuff we gave away, oh, um, yeah. you know, but the strong probably has the most, the, the wider, widest variety of our old stuff of anybody.
1: Yeah. It was kind of a funny thing. And that Roberta had been bugging me to clean out this locker where we stuck all the old Sierra <laughs> paraphernalia.
2: Well, this lately. And, and it was a this big
1: locker. No, this was back oh. then. Uh-oh. And uh, it was the same time this guy, Don Daglow, who had been at Electronic Arts, contacted me oh, and no. said he was trying to organize a collection for the Strong Museum. Oh, that time. Okay. Uh-huh. okay. And we, we went over to our yep. storage locker yeah. and literally loaded up a pallet with everything we saw, not paying attention to what it was. And they got everything from T-shirts to old game boxes, all the design notes.
2: Technically, though, it's our stuff. You know, because um, I remember signing papers that it's on loan, you know, and we can ask for all our stuff back whenever we want that, you know, that was technically. So I guess you could say we could do that, but I don't think we probably never will. Yeah. There was,
1: so I, I, I remember like the Steve Wozniak letter. I mean, that was cool when he had had his uh, helicopter crash and wrote about one of our games and, uh, or Bill Gates and Buffett used to play on our uh, TSN network, our uh, Sierra network. And I remember, uh, I think it was Gates wrote me a letter for that, and I had it framed on my wall. And I think all of that stuff is sitting at the Strong Museum. And um, yeah, someday we should go visit it. I know
2: we so should go visit our we've stuff. We've never
1: been there. Oh, They always there. send us invites. I'll so we go never there go. and go.
2: God, look at all this. These people must be really great. <laughs>
1: well, they assume we're. Dead oh, it's by us.
2: <laughs>
0: I'm but, th- that would just yeah. be amazing for me if there's like, you know, I don't know, like, like maps, of, you know, like like drawings of what the maps of the world are.
2: Well, there probably are. are. So. Yeah. There, there are. Yeah.
1: Although, since I mentioned that, um, you know, the old history, I should point out that on our new game, the average age is probably 25 to 30. I mean, Roberta and I are definitely in a different category than most of the team. We wanted uh, the game to resonate with and be a perfectly good game for somebody who's a uh, younger gamer. And it was important that. um, No,
2: can I, I, well, I have to say, I think the team members are older than that.
1: Oh, you think they are?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think our youngest is probably about 30 and they go up to, um, I mean, I don't know. I haven't asked, but you know, just looking at them, I would say up to about 45. So I say, like. I don't
1: think they're that old. Some Hmm. of
2: them, not, not all of them. Oh,
1: well, yeah. I know that they're, definitely in words, they're, they're not, are in they're the not, gamer category. You know,
2: they're not; they're all very professional. You know, they it, they've uh, quite a few of them have been around and know what they're doing. So um, that that was more important than young.
0: Well, they're younger than us. They're younger
2: than us. Yeah, <laughs>
0: they, they see they seem younger.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, we wanted people that had played <laughs> lots of games and considered themselves gamers. And, um,
2: well, yeah, and they're definitely all gamers. I mean, they're all, they're totally into games. Um, and the nice thing about it is they're all professionals. They're into games, very much into games. Many of them have worked on their own games. Um, some of them they've actually published some of them, they're still working on them They're you know, as a hobby, uh, but they're all definitely into games. But the nice thing about them is that um, most of them, I would say, started working with us because of our reputation, which has been really, really nice for us and really good for this game. But uh, but none of them really knew what Colossal Cave was. And we've had to educate them. Uh, mm-hmm. And I I have to say that as we have worked on them, on this game with them, in various means, programmers, artists, animators, you know, whatever, um, they have come to have such respect for this game. And I've been told many times I had no idea that this the that this game was this good and this interesting and this deep and complex. And I said, yeah, it is. I mean it's a really good design. And uh and, and they have come to have such great respect for this game. Which is a really good sign.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that that's great. And, and we're we're running a little short on time here. Okay. Is, is there anything else you want to say about Colossal Cave, just um that we haven't covered that anything else you want people to know to know about about why they should uh, check it out?
1: <laughs> well, um, you have no, I can't think well, of anything. What I would the...
2: say is uh I would say that they need they definitely need to check it out, especially if they have any, if they like, even if they like adventure games, they definitely, it's a must. I mean, they did, they have to play this, this game. Um, And it, but even if you don't, if even if you just like exploratory games, just to explore an environment that is so different and so um, beautiful and the, the graphics that we're creating are very beautiful and very immersive uh, even just as an exploratory experience, it, they've got to check it out. It's, it's going to, and, and those, those that get drawn into the actual story of it and, uh, the, and really wanting to solve it and get those, that magical 350 points, which is really hard to do. Mm-hmm. But if you really want to do it, it's there for, for you as well. It's a game that you can play many times in many different ways. It's not I wouldn't call this game a one-time playthrough adventure game. So it's it's going to be beautiful and I I just can't wait for people to to see it in its full glory.
0: Yeah, it'll be out sometime this year.
2: Well, well we're we're hoping <laughs> we're for,
0: for October. Around
2: the 1st of November.
0: Yeah. And we feel like we're on track for that.
1: What we don't know is some of the uh Hardware devices, uh, we have to submit to the companies for approval. And we don't know what their turnaround will be at that time of year. But we're hoping to have it done at our end sometime in October. We want it definitely out there before Thanksgiving.
2: That would be great. Yeah, That's our goal.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's really exciting. I'm, exciting. I'm really looking forward to checking out the game. And also, you know, in this interview I watched with, with Marcus, he said that you guys are going to be at PAX West. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We will on stage with uh, like Ron Gilbert and Jane Jensen and Elvo. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and he said that'll yeah. be uh, streamed live. I think so. Everyone should. Yeah, should it check will
1: it be. Out. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're there, come say hi.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We, um... We'd love that.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. No. It's. Um. Yeah. It, it's. Um. No. It's been so great talking to you. Like you know, you guys are personal heroes of mine. So. Oh. Uh,
2: well.
0: I guess. I guess i if you have a minute, I'll sneak in one more, I'll sneak in one more question here. Um, okay. so, so Ken, uh, in your book, you say that your son Chris was recently married at the height of the pandemic in a totally bizarre ceremony. After months of trying to get a wedding license, the county of Riverside, California, finally allowed him and Anna, his fiancee, to be married at the ticket window of a movie theater.
2: Yeah. We the yeah. were
0: forced to watch the ceremony from a parked car a hundred yards away. Yeah. And, um, my, my girlfriend and I are getting married in the spring. And so we're having to plan our wedding now and she has yeah. a huge family. So I'm looking yeah. at this and it's like, Oh, maybe we should have just done that. If we could just go up to a different window,
2: <laughs> I don't know.
1: it'd be a lot, it, it, be yeah. a lot cheaper for uh, a wedding. That was, uh, we kind of got lucky because normally we'd have wound up having to spend a fortune well, on wait, a wedding. Well,
2: <laughs> well, normally the bride's father and mother pay for that, but, uh, our yeah our um our daughter in law is um she's an uh a legal immigrant from from russia and uh she she came on a fiance visa and they had to get married for it within ninety days and the ninety days were coming and so they had to get married for that reason <laughs>
1: but they were they were freaking out because there were no uh, courts open at that point in time and we yeah. told them i mean the government's screwed up right now. Nobody's going to boot you out of the country when you can't find a uh, no, but I mean, court that's open to get a mar- marriage license. But, but
2: but still, we they it was very they wanted to keep everything very legal. So um, so they we I we had to search around trying to figure out how to let them get married. Um, yeah. Because it, even like the county of Los Angeles wasn't really open, and that Department of Marriage was not open. And finally, uh, we live in, uh, our, our place in Southern California is in, in Riverside County and, um, and they did have their, their marriage department was open in Riverside County. So they were able to get a, a marriage license through there. And then, um, and, and then they said, well, you know, here's your marriage license and to our son and then said, well, we'll let you know when and where you can get married and at what time.
1: Well, we assumed when we saw it was a movie theater that we'd be able to go into the movie theater and sit in the seats. But um, <laughs> we we got there and they wouldn't even let us in the parking lot, or they well, let we were us in at the, the, the outer parking lot, but we had to stay the in the car. Lot. Yeah,
2: and they had to get married, at, you know, on the at the uh, movie theater, and you know, where the you buy the tickets, you stand there and you buy the tickets, and where the ticket oh. seller sits in the little booth there. So the, I guess the justice of the peace or whatever was sitting there in the ticket booth, and they had to stand there as if they're buying a ticket for the movie and have their masks on to get married, and, and they had a guard there to keep all the people away, all like like away. us.
1: <laughs> well, I hope your wedding goes better, and that, uh, yeah, and uh,
2: yeah, we wish you all the luck, and uh, you're you were smart to wait because now you're going to have a beautiful wedding, wedding that you can remember and. Yeah, that's important.
0: Oh, thank you. Although it occurs to me, kind of like that kind of wedding, the, the, the kind of wedding that Chris had is sort of, you know, it makes a good story. It's sort of unique, it yeah, memorable.
2: <laughs> it's it right. does make a good story.
0: Because <laughs> we go to a lot of weddings, my, my girlfriend and I, and then they all kind of blend together after a while. But that's one that you're not going to forget. That's one. That's no, that one is that
2: was the one for the book. <laughs> that was that's a for weird sure. One. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay. Well, any other thing else, or we'll wish you well. And yeah,
2: and congratulations too. Yeah, yes.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been it's been so great talking to you and everyone. Uh, we've been speaking with our guests today, Ken and Roberta Williams, about their game, Colossal Cave Adventure. So, thank you so much, you. both. Oh, well, you know, us. I should.
1: I, I, I got it. Before we go, I got to throw in the website address at least. Uh, www. Oh, go for, yeah. Go w- for it. yeah. I mean, God, what what, what? good's a plug without uh, that website address? So it's uh, colossalcave3d.com. And that's it. I'll leave you alone now.
0: <laughs> All right. It was great talking to you and both. It was
2: a pleasure so talking with you too, David. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah.
0: And that was our interview. So big thanks again to Ken and Roberta Williams for joining us on the show. This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy was made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please support us on Patreon over at patreon.com geeks, or via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. Alright, so that was our show. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of
1: Wired.com.